Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. My name is Sam Peters and this is the Reliably Well podcast. I'm here with Dr. Johnsey and Dr. Abraham. And we are talking about this tension between HM and EM, hospitalist medicine and emergency medicine. And I hear from the clinicians here, and I also hear from my, my own father-in-law that there is this tension between the emergency physician who, or, the, or the clinician who's trying to admit a patient and then the hospitalist who is trying to see if this patient actually needs to be admitted. Do, do we really need to use a bed on this clinician? One, one question that I have is, is this tension inherent in medicine, because if it is, I don't think we can root it out. Or is this accidental? Is this just something that happens, but there could be some kind of synergy or collaboration, collegiality that could exist? Um, So is is this tension inherent? Do you think this tension is inherent in medicine or is it solvable? If you're asking, does this is does this have to be here? I think absolutely, this does not have to be there. Is it there a lot in medicine? Sure. Whenever I call Sumner about a patient, I'm typically not calling him to say, "Hey, I'm discharging this patient. You don't have any work to do." I am typically calling him to say, "I have work for you to do," and certainly, depending upon his workload, depending upon Everything else that's going on in his life um, that that may or may not come off in a positive way. Also, given the way that he's compensated for the work that he's doing, that has a way different perspective uh, on him. If there is some incentivization for every additional patient that he sees or interacts with, then he may see that in a very positive light. Um, and, and so the tension uh, dissolves. Uh, his tension may be when his phone's not ringing. <laughs> um, but I, I think typically, yes, there is some degree of friction uh, that occurs in those interactions uh, between the two. But it does not have to be there because there are plenty of examples um, that, that I've, I've been, um, I've experienced in my career um, where it is not there, where it is a, um, it, it, the interaction actually goes with someone taking the patient and ending the call with, thank you for calling me, um, whether there is an incentive or not. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the perspective on how we see what it is that's going on and how we see, um, what else someone else is, is doing. Um, from, from where I sit, uh, again, I'm usually calling someone at inopportune days or times, uh, to ask them to do work. And if they only see that one interaction as all that I do, then they probably have a fairly negative opinion of what it is that I'm doing there. Um, if they, uh, however, take a broader perspective of all the patients that I've you know, done something else with, that 80% of the patients that come into the emergency department I call no one about, um, or don't call them about, um, uh, you know, and, and take care of all of their medical care in the ED, 
uh, on our own and handle problems that bounce back from their clinic or uh, from something they've done in the hospital and, and help relieve their need to come back to the hospital. If they see that bigger perspective of the uh, of the ways that the emergency physician engages um, in the in the practice of medicine, then they certainly may have a more positive um, want to have a more positive interaction with what's um, with what's going on uh, in this interaction that we have. Uh, so I think it has a, a lot to do with with the perspective. Uh, of the person that that's calling and and not to throw it all on Sumner side of the phone. It has a lot to do with me on how well I can uh, help him to see what is going on with the patient over the phone and be his eyes and be his um, colleague and his assistant in this, this interaction Uh, because there there's not one set way um, you know, except with a few disease processes, uh, there's not one set way to handle this clinical condition that comes up. Um, and so it, it needs to be collaborative and interactive. And, and it, I, I don't, I can't go with, um, this is, this is the one way you can interact positively with me. Uh, and I won't accept anything else. Um, uh, so just say yes. And, and, and and don't don't ask any other questions sort of thing. So it is a two-way street there, but I don't think it has to be that tension there. We are not fighting one another. Uh, we're trying to – we're on the same team. We're trying to do uh, the same thing for the patient in the end. But often, don't you think that there is some tension, right? I mean, like, I mean, like that is like the old age of – you know this this like idea that the that the HM you know the hosp- the hospital medicine people don't like the emergency medicine people and the emergency medicine people don't like the hospital medicine people. Um, I did not grow up in and around healthcare. I did not. I wasn't like a big shadower when I was um, trying to um, get into medical school. I studied sociology. Joe was talking in a previous podcast about his um, uh, chemical engineering and. Um, if I was going to be a sociologist, I wouldn't have a job, <laughs> just period, because <laughs> I don't know what sociologists do. Um, if there's any sociologists out there um, who are listening, thank you for listening and know that I mean that in jest. But um, I was always just baffled at this idea that there is a patient who needs help and they come to the front of the house and they are met by a clinician and they need to be brought in to the hospital, to the back of the house, and why there wouldn't be harmony. I was, I mean, I was always so confused by that, but the, but the tension is certainly there. I, my, um, I almost think about it like a restaurant. Like it, it doesn't like if you go to a restaurant and your service is bad and your food's good, it's, it's going to be a bad experience. If you go to a place and your service is good and the food's bad, it's a, really bad experience. The places that win Michelin stars and James Beard awards, the service is impeccable and the, and the food is good. And not, and like, not to say that that is equitable to an EM and HM role, but it's this idea that if you're not in sync, then the best product or the best experience is impossible to achieve. And the best outcome, I think. Um, Because if we, if, if, 
we don't have a good collaborative relationship, then we're going to we're going to miss something. We're going to drop a ball somewhere because I'm not going to focus on the patient. I'm going to focus on the interaction uh, between you and me and um, proving, um, you know, wh- who's right in this in this situation versus uh, taking care of the patient. Um, so th- things will get missed. Things will get dropped. Um, shortcuts will be taken uh, if there's too much tension in that relationship. Yeah, and I, I mean, I always kind of laugh at um, somebody will call and say, you know, I've, I've got a couple patients down here for you. That's like, you know, how, and there's always this tone of like angst where they're like, uh, I've got a couple patients for you. Like, please don't get mad, but you know, or please don't ask me to do a bunch of crazy stuff. And I, and I have always just found that it is so much more difficult. It is, it is so much more work, you know, cause it's almost this idea of like, who's going to do X amount of work. And there's this equation and you're kind of guessing and, you know, you've got to do your full 50% and I'll do my full 50%. But it's almost this idea of, um, it even really, sh- it shouldn't even be slices of the pie. It should just be, there is work that has to get done and we're just going to get it done together, you know? Uh, but it is so much easier to just, when you're called about a patient, just go ahead and admit them and figure it out and, you know, figure it out together and work together on what needs to be done. Um, and it, and that makes everybody's life easier. Um, I've always been amazed at the resistance to that. And I've never quite figured out what's really the driver. Is it, is it really as simple as, well, this is just more work for you or more work for me? Yeah, I, I've, I've never understood it either because it, 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 I, I definitely agree with your, um, even if, um, even in those encounters when I'm, when you're going to accept the patient, let's say, but let's talk to such and such before, or let's get this done before. Well, it actually doesn't lessen your workload. It really increases it because now you're going to get another call from me later on um, with the same patient presentation and another caveat there. So it really didn't, it didn't lessen anything. It just increased the, the, the friction. Uh, it, um, cause some utilization resources that might not have been necessary and certainly probably weren't necessary at that point in time um, and, and created, you know, probably a strain in that relationship next time that we wind up having. Again, I, I, I love those situations where it is very collaborative. Hey, what do you think about this uh, on that patient? And maybe I didn't think about it. Maybe I didn't know that was even an option versus the my job is. And, and I remember in residency, there was an admitter. There was a, a medicine resident who was the admitter for the entire Barnes Jewish Hospital and uh, all the different medicine teams that were there. And they stated unequivocally that their job was to be a wall. Um, they had, if, you know, if they let too many admissions come through, they failed what it was that they were doing. Uh, that, that was just the perspective there. And so, um, you know, I, I think in the end, um, you know, two heads are better than one working on this patient. And there's, there are certainly times when I've been told, Hey, we can do this, uh, for that particular patient. And oh, if I knew that, I never would have wanted to put them into the hospital because, you know. 
Sometimes bad things happen in the hospital. Sometimes, um, you know, demented patients become more delirious and wind up not being able to go home. And so we know that there's some consequences out there that none of us can um, can control. And so the better place for folks to be when they can be there is is back home. But um, I just think that uh, I, I think more than I think tension is there before we have the interaction. I have some angst about me, you know, making this call and the tension may keep me from doing sometimes even the right thing for the patient, because if you're a big enough bear, I'm just going to avoid you. Um, and that may be the wrong thing for the patient. I think when we get to having the interaction, I think friction, um, is more the, the term I would use because I think it slows down and it's a negative thing. We're not talking about breaking uh, a, a speeding train. We're talking about um, causing unnecessary delays in, in somebody getting to the ultimate uh, care that they need. And and I just think about how much waste that that winds up generating from overprocessing or from time uh, spent or uh, all those sorts of things that, that wind up coming out of it. And it's just uh, it can only be negative even if I – immediately forget the way that that interaction went and don't carry it over to the next one. Um, just in that one, we had, we had, we lost an opportunity. So here's maybe an argument that I'm just now thinking about, so it may not be useful, but it seems that there's sometimes where tension is useful. Uh, let's say in a courtroom where you have the defendant and the plaintiff, um, you want there to be tension there. You don't want some kind of harmony. um, there are some other times where you, you know, I guess tension, maybe within politics with the Democratic or Republican Party, where you have two sides arguing two different perspectives. You know, there are some uh, political philosophers who say that tension's healthy. Um, and there's, I, I know, a, a book written back in 1714, I just looked it up, uh, by Mandeville. He wrote The Fable of the Bees. The bees, um, they would live in their hive. And for a certain amount of time, they acted very virtuous. There was no tension in the beehive. They no longer strove for personal, uh, 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 for themselves, and no longer they made honey. And the idea there is tension's good, and I guess desire. I'm just wondering if maybe if in the hospital there's a filtering process that's healthy where it is actually good for an EM, for, for emergency physician to make their argument that this patient should be admitted. Now, the hospitalist uh, is going to be concerned or skeptical that the emergency physician did not do all of his work. Um, is there maybe a healthy tension? The insurance company might like there to be healthy tension there, so we admit fewer patients to the hospital. I think the only thing that I would say um, in counter to your examples there is like the prosecution and the defense, they are on diametrically opposed sides of the equation there. So I, I don't take the premise that Sumner and I are on opposite sides of the equation here. I actually think that that is part of the problem with that tension being there is that I see myself as his opposition or he sees himself as my opposition. But I think 
in the end, we're all on the same side of health and wellness. That we, we want to be advocates for the patient. It, it, sh- should it be collaborative? Should there be questions raised? This is not a. This is not saying, well, Sumner, you should always accept one hundred percent of what I say and never question or ask anything about um, this patient uh, interaction or this disposition choice for the patient. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. What I mean is is that we should view ourselves as trying to do the best thing in the end for the patient as opposed to only seeing my call to be a negative thing uh, for him or for that matter, only seeing my thing as being a personally positive thing for him. You know, if, if he's incentivized in such a way that he really wants to admit patients, we, we ought to see it as we are both advocates trying to find the best solution for this patient's illness at this time. Right. I think that there that that there is tension in the encounter in which a patient presents to an emergency department and has to be brought into the hospital. And I think that that tension is between disease and the patient and between the patient's life and having to come into the hospital. I think those are the two places where well, and and then the third would be all the barriers that um, have to, all the hoops to jump through to get things paid for. Those are the th- those are the three areas of tension, and I think that sometimes we forget, we neglect to see that there really is no tension between Joe and I. We're, just as Joe said, like we both got into the business to help people, and we have just different tools that we use to help people. And it's just like that simple. He was trained to use one set of tools and I was trained to use another set. And, but we forget that like, yes, there is tension there, but I think the tension is the patient has a life and has to come into the hospital and that's disrupted. There's some people have one insurance and other people have another insurance and how that's compensated for is another um, kind of disruption. And then this idea that somebody's body is failing them or there's a pathogen that's invaded a body that's cause some sort of, you know, further disruption. Like those are the points of tension. And I think that we sometimes displace those because we don't know how to handle it. I don't like, I don't really know what to do with all this tension, but Joe, you're here. You just call me about the patient. It's going to be, it's going to be your fault. Um, and I think that if we can, that whatever reminders we could have say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like it's going to be better for everybody. It's going to make my life easier. It's going to make the patient's life easier. It's going to make the patient's caregiver's life easier. And it's going to make Joe's life easier if we all just, hey, what's the fastest way to do this? You want me to come down and see him or you just want to admit him and bring him upstairs and I'll just wait until they get up here? You know, I, I mean, like, like, like there's ways that we can um, kind of uh, deal with this as opposed to the bickering. Actually, no, Dr. Johnson, I need you to order urine electrolytes on this patient. It's like, that is never, like, that's never been helpful for a hospital medicine physician to see before the patient comes upstairs. Never. It, it is, it is never helpful, but do people make you do that, Joe? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I was trying to be, uh, it was earlier on in my career and I was trying to be, you know, be, be, um, efficient in the use of hospital resources and make sure that the organization got paid appropriately. And I remember calling, um, 
Dr. Brown, and I was like, I just, I just need to ask your opinion about what we should do on this patient and blah, blah, blah. And, and he said, um, well, uh, I admit patients to the hospital. So when you call me about a patient, um, I usually default to admit them to the hospital, uh, as the, as the interaction. And, and it was, it was, it was, you know, so he's like, if you've got a question about them, they probably ought to be in, in the hospital. I'm not going to sit here over the phone and tell you. And it was just that, you know, that is that epitome of, I, yeah, if you tell, if you ask me what antibiotic would I give for X, Y, or Z or what am I going to do upstairs? Okay. Yeah. I can tell you that, but, uh, you know, there's no sense in let's, let's, um, argue back and forth about why or why not you're somebody who went to medical school and uh has seen a lot of patients in your life and you're saying this is one that you think might not need to go home so probably that's my Sounds that like should be my in. opinion too yeah <laughs> that's, right. that's right yeah it's um it, it's just is so strange how there is kind of and i don't know if it's the the academic environment where their more work does not yield more compensation and so that's where you're taught how to interact with other disciplines where, yeah, sure. Like in the real world, there might be a compensation for seeing more patients and those people are delightful to interact with. And they say, yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'll, I'll be down to see them in 20 seconds or the hospitalist that lingers in the emergency department. Like, Hey, you know, you got anybody for me, you know? Um, and, and I will say that was the, you, you would, you would wonder about that some, but I think some of that is, is just America too. Not that I have an entirely universal worldwide exposure, but I did, I do remember asking those questions in, in Norway and Sweden and there, there, there wasn't this, it was okay. Yes. The patient comes into the hospital sort of thing. There wasn't this uh, tension. And of course they had fewer hoops. Hey, if the patient's sick, they come in, we, we get paid, we don't get paid. It doesn't really matter. It's socialized medicine here. So, so who cares, uh, about some of those hurdles, but there wasn't this, even though there was no additional compensation necessarily for those, um, those individuals, there was not the tension of fighting the admission. Um, so I think some of that comes from, uh, something, uh, more American, uh, than, than it is, uh, capitalist, uh, related. Yeah. We used to have this, um, saying in my training program of, um, a really good medicine resident, somebody that enjoys taking out the trash. Cause some days you just, just kind of got to take out the trash and you kind of got to do stuff that's kind of gross and kind of smelly and, but you got to just do it. And I used to tell interns all the time, um, Hey, look, can you, can you imagine if trash days on Monday morning, you know, you come, you know, you come back from a run and the garbage man's there and he's standing there looking at your trash can and he says, sir, could you, um, could you open up your trash can and tell me like all this stuff is really trash? And you're kind of like, dude, like you're the garbage man, just do your job. Like empty my trash can and put it in your truck and go on to the next one. And that is often how hospitalists will act. They'll say, hey, you know, really, can you, can you actually tell me, um, you know, how many years they've been smoking for? Like, when did they start? Was it 18 years old or 16? And you're just like, come on. Like, how, is, how on earth is that applicable to what we're doing? In the same way that, like, my job is to admit the patient. That's, like, part of my job description. Is if a patient in the emergency department has to come in, I go admit them. In the same way that the garbage man's job is to pick up your trash and put it in the trash can. 
and you move on to the next one. Um, and just kind of how like we kind of like try to justify our jobs as something maybe more than they really are, <laughs> as opposed to like we're not gatekeepers, you know. And, and to build maybe on your analogy just a little bit, not not that I advocate that across the board, but there are just sometimes when you you just it's the it's the blink mentality a little bit that you just there's something that's not right about this person and I can't necessarily say what it is. This thing is in my trash can and I can't really tell you what's not right about it, but I can just tell you, I don't need it in my house anymore. And so that's why I put it in the trash can. And the same thing with a patient. I can't tell you there's not a lab defect. There's not something else, but something about that story just hit a neuron somewhere deep back in my brain. And it's reminding me of a couple of other patients that were similar. And so I just can't send them home. And, 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 you know, they, they just have to, to be there. And, you know, the majority of the time, certainly not every time, but the majority of the time when I hear other EM clinicians talk about that, I didn't know what was going on. Unfortunately, something terrible happens in the next 24 hours with that patient that justified that, uh, you know, I've just got this this spidey sense that there's something that's just not exactly right about that person. Blood cultures wind up becoming positive very, very rapidly or EKGs change a little bit more than, than that just little subtle thing that was there. And, um, you know, th- those are the ones where you really want to remove that tension so much because I can't tell you why this is trash. I can't tell you what's going on with this patient. I can just tell you there is something that doesn't feel right. And I, and I need you to hear that in my voice this time. Um, I can't cry wolf every time and say, oh, I just don't feel good about this one because obviously there's a limit of resources. But that that tension, I think, gets in the way of those that I just don't feel right about it. But I can't tell you why, especially when I'm in the first two years of my career and I don't have enough calluses on my on my ego to be able to 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 take the wrath of somebody who's got 10 more years of experience telling me why I'm, I'm wrong about this. And that's where it becomes dangerous to a patient. So let's talk about what can we do about it. Um, Dr. Abraham, what would you recommend HM clinicians to do to promote this working together? this unity within the house. What can HM clinicians do? Yeah. This is more of an idea as opposed to a practical tip. I think the old adage is so true to go walk a mile in another man's shoes. Um, I don't know that you're going to find an HM doc who's going to get credentialed to go work in an emergency department somewhere just to try it on. Like that's not what they were necessarily trained to do. And there's a lot of things that Joe does every day that I, that I just can't do. I just, I just like physically, I, I am not skilled enough to do them. Um, but to, but to understand that, um, as it turns out, Joe doesn't admit a hundred percent of the patients that he sees, he had, you know, it's like, you know, in the, you know, less than 10% teens, I don't know, kind of depends on the day, but it's not, uh, I mean, I mean, it's not even close to over half, um, so like I so like I think understanding what somebody else might be doing on a day-to-day basis and kind of having some perspective for maybe their end, I think that's I mean, that's always helpful and almost just to be reminded of that, I think, in a really practical way. Um 
I think something that would be really practical that I've found to be useful is like get to know the people in your department. As it turns out, like Joe's a husband and a dad and unfortunately likes Mississippi State baseball and, you know, like, has, you know, has things that he that, that that make him who he is that far extend just the fact that he's an EM doc who's sending me patients. And I think that that even, and, you know, we've talked in a previous episode about this idea of um, getting to know your patient's stories. I think it's getting to know your colleague's stories of, like, what makes Joe Joe? And I don't even really want to hear about where you did your training or anything like that, but, like, like what, what, what do you like to do for fun? You know, um, maybe we go watch a college baseball game next year because I know that Joe's in the college baseball now, you know, um, I think are kind of one philosophical walk a mile in another man's shoes and then another is just get to know the people you're working with. So Dr. Johnson, what, what can an EM clinician do practically to promote this working together? Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with with Sumner's thoughts there. I mean, I think um, it, it's hard to um, uh, hard to be on the same team when you don't know anything about your teammate. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's it's absolutely necessary that that we get um, a depth of knowledge not only with our patients but with our with our colleagues. It just helps. It's hard to when you know. Um, uh, a lot of those personal details about somebody to you know to maybe throw expletives at them so so easily. It is when it's a nameless, faceless voice over the phone. It is much easier to be hostile towards them. You know that's what we see in social media today. When when I don't have any idea who that person is, I can be very rude to them. Um, and I think the other thing is from an EM perspective, um, we're in the facility um all the time um and a lot of times sumner while he may be working for 24 hours he is certainly not in the facility for 24 hours and so there are things that we can do to help hey let me take care of this one for you yeah i know your patient in 212 fell and has a laceration there's really not a reason for you to come in and close that laceration i can do that for you um, and, and so I think again, being, being collegial with our colleagues, uh, in all aspects are, are a big deal. And I think knowing the next step, I mean, sometimes it's, I call you with a vague omen and I have no plan whatsoever for what you might do for them, but taking that next step to say, Hey, I think this patient might benefit from X, Y, and Z. Well, then it really helps you. I've had three, four, five hours dealing with that patient. You had 35 seconds to figure out what you could do for this person while I'm giving you a story. It's quite a challenge. But if I can sit there and say, you know, I think this is probably somebody that we could get PT and OT to come and see. And if they can't make a big turnaround in a day or two, then maybe they need some rehabilitation. Okay. Well, now that makes sense. Now I've got some sort of plan that I can go forward with caring for this patient versus you just told me they're weak and we don't have any other uh, idea what's going on. So I, I, th- I think those are a couple of things that, that I see uh, of, of, of making um, positive inroads in, in that relationship. 
And two, once you start doing that, you wind up talking much more about somebody's vacation to Zion National Park than you do about the patient. It's actually, I mean, it goes back to, it makes your job so much more enjoyable to say, you know what, I really am here for the next 12 hours and you're here for the next eight to 12 hours and we're probably going to be seeing each other multiple times a day, depending on what kind of type of clinical environment you're working in. And you actually become friends with those people or you should, or you could, I guess is the this idea. I think it's just this illusion that there that you have to just deal with the tension that's there between the two sides of the house, so to speak. I think there is a path forward that I think makes everybody's life actually really fun. Everybody wins in that solution. Not only both clinicians on each end of the phone, but the patient in the end, because now, you know, I, I've moved that ball down down the field a little bit farther. Uh, for you, when you pick it up, um, you know you you can you can be very efficient on the on the on the next step with that patient. Uh, all all around, people win when we have that collaborative relationship versus that uh, ad- adversarial relationship. I can think back to a book we did. I think it was the book before in our book club, Culture Code. There was that. Uh, I think it was the first chapter that talked about the uh, Christmas truce, where in World War One, the soldiers on both sides, they came together and they had Christmas. And the reason was they would like they would fire their rifles to a, a Christmas tune. And that would let everyone know, hey, put your guns down, let's come together and let's have Christmas. And it's this idea that they were in the, um, you know, the foxholes right next to each other. They, they, they knew the trenches, they, they knew that proximity had an effect on them. And they saw, started seeing each other as people and not just as, you know, the enemy. And that's kind of what I hear, you know. And that was so frightening to the that that was in 1914 and that was so frightening to the leaders of those armies that they made sure that if it happened again that people would be executed because you could stop a war with that sort of interaction so so I, I think that's a hugely powerful example um that at least the people who were fighting that war thought you know what we might have a mutiny if we let this sort of collegial interaction go on between people who a few hours ago were trying to kill one another. Closing, closing the gap, maybe again. Uh, great, great discussion talking about walking in other people's shoes, trying to think through what the EM clinicians are doing, what the HM clinicians are doing and having that empathy towards, towards them, uh, trying to see them as people. Thank you for listening. This is the reliably well podcast. Uh, I want to encourage you to give us a five-star review so that our, uh, podcast will be listened to by more people in the search results. Uh, Please suggest a, another episode if you have a, a question or would like us to talk about a certain topic. Until next time, be well. Be well.